0: I hope that uh, none of you have gotten tired about hearing about the Holy Spirit, but today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a whole other light, maybe a light you've never thought of before, but I want to i, I, I want to tell you a couple of little anecdotes, okay? Uh, when I say anecdotes, they're jokes, so everyone is required to at least giggle a little bit when I tell a joke, all right? Never lend money to a friend. It's dangerous. It could damage their memory. Ooh. Some, somebody went, ooh. Yeah. That hit home. I don't know which end of it hit, but it hit home. Uh, Someone says, I was in a small claims court when I listened in on the case of this person who held a good job but still had trouble paying their bills on time. The judge said, can't you live within your income? No, Your Honor, they said. It's all I can do to live within my credit. So you can see we're going to connect the Holy Spirit and money. I'm just hinting right now. All right. If anybody walks out of here... While I'm talking about this, I'm really not going to do anything. But I just wanted to say that to make you feel really awkward if you have to get up. So if you have to sit in your seat and like wiggle because you have to go to the bathroom so bad, just do it. Stay in here and listen to this talk, okay? All right. A local charity had never received a donation from their town's banker. So the director gets on the phone. He calls up the banker. They know each other on a first-name basis. He says, our records show you make over a million dollars a year. Ooh! Yet, our records also show you haven't given a penny charity. Wouldn't you like to help our community? The banker says, did your research show that my mother is ill with extremely expensive medical bills? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> did your records show that my brother is blind and unemployed? Or that my sister's husband died, leaving her broke with four kids? The director's feeling more and more awkward. No, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. He says, so, said the banker. If I don't give them any money, why would I give you any? <laughs> Does that sound familiar at all? Here's the last one. After hearing a sermon on Psalm 52, 3-4, to four, if you don't know what that verse is, it's about lying and deceit. A man went home from church, God is. Uh, computer out, and wrote a letter to the IRS, and he said, I can't sleep knowing that I've cheated on my income tax. Enclosed is a check for $150. If I can't sleep, I'll send the rest. Okay, so what on earth does the Holy Spirit have to do with money? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. How do you fit money in there? Well, I want to take you, we're going to, we're going to unpack one of the most comprehensive Passages about money in the Bible and the Holy Spirit is smack dab in the middle of it. In fact, the whole issue that that I think you'll see about money is all centered on the Holy Spirit. And but it's it's an eye opening, and I think it's an eye opening text. It's also an invitation to a life that I don't think you ever believed you could live. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it to Galatians chapter six, and it's page. In these Bibles, the Loner Bibles underneath you, it's, it's page uh, 810. So follow along here with me. In verse 6, and this is just a, we, we talked about chapter 5 a few weeks ago and the Holy Spirit. Uh, in verse 6 it says, And anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. The one who sows to please their sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction or corruption, some translations say. The one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So... The simple point of this passage, there's a principle embedded in it, and it's kind of sandwiched with two commands to be generous financially. But the principle is the key thing you have to get a hold of, because it doesn't, it, it, the rest of it just seems like sort of optional, or it's good to know that. But this principle that Paul gives us, it's a principle, actually, it starts in the book of Genesis, it's repeated over and over and over and over and over, all the way. Through the Old Testament into the New Testament, Jesus says it all. The apostles say it over and over and over. It says this, that life is governed by the law that you reap what you sow. Life is governed. Your life, my life, all of life. It's a a law that, that is an overarching law that shapes every dimension of our lives. Our lives are governed by the truth that we reap whatever we've sown. And so Paul takes that, and he employs it here. He brings it into the issue of money. And so this law has three simple principles. And every, every farmer, most of the people who would have read this or heard this, they were, very, they were far closer to the land than we are, so they got it. And it says three things about the law of sowing and reaping. First, you reap whatever you sow. So Like, I got a bag of sunflower seeds here. If I plant these sunflower seeds in the ground, I'm not going to get cucumbers. I'm going to get a sunflower plant, right? Thank you, Mike. I wasn't even trying to be funny there, but he, he got it, right? Oh, all right. Fellow sunflower seed lover. Hold on a second here. So, remind me. I need my whatever's in them. So, you get more sunflower seeds you get sunflower seeds when you plant sunflower seeds. Plant sunflower seeds, you don't get cucumbers, you don't get corn, you don't get squash, you don't get watermelons, whatever. You got to plant certain kinds of seeds to get certain kinds of crops, right? Second, you reap way after you sow. So you put these sunflower seeds in the ground, not jack and the beanstalk. That's the American version of the law of sowing and reaping. Jack and the beanstalk, right? The next day, Jack sees a huge beanstalk going up to the sky. Didn't work that way. Days, weeks, months go by. Now some some you know the growing season for some seeds is pretty rapid, but most of them it's weeks and weeks and months. Right, right. Okay. Second thing to get in mind: when you sow, it's going to take a long time to reap. Third, you reap way more than you sow. So, excuse me. This one seed right here. Will, will produce hundreds of seeds, just one seed. Every seed's like this. Every seed is like this. Put a corn seed into the ground. You're going to get multiple ears, each with hundreds of seeds. So this law of sowing and reaping, this sounds like a good deal. This can fill a field, and the next season it can fill dozens of fields. The season after that it can fill hundreds of fields. It's a pretty powerful principle. It sounds like a pretty good deal, does it? But there's a flip side to it that Paul points out here. And he warns us. Oh, oh, hold it. So the power of this, you can see it all the way through the Bible. But God promised something right after the flood, after he judged everything, everything was destroyed. He said, I'm not going to ever destroy all life like this again. I'm not going to flood the earth again. Even though it's still a mess. Even though people are still really bent in on themselves and twisted. He said there's always going to be sowing and reaping. That it will never end until the end. When Jesus returns, now he didn't say Jesus returns to the book of Genesis, but he's implying at some point at the end of the world, this law will stop in the way we understand it. But he says something, and please listen here. He says, makes this point. Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Don't let anyone fool you and think that you don't have to live under this law. Don't think you can escape it. Now, not just in the area of money, but in any area of our life, because Paul just takes this principle that the Bible teaches over and over and over. It's like, I forget who, if it was Marcus Aurelius, I forget who, who um, first came up with the the famous thought, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Everybody knows that this is the way life works. It's why I paid for my kids to take piano lessons. And they can play the piano to this day. Because year after year after year, they sowed this practice and they internalized it. And they could actually play music, sheet music, things by ear. But they had to sow before they could reap. So life is like that, right? Are you tracking with me? So the way Paul just in a slick way moves into the the financial aspect is he says that sowing is like giving. That when you give, you sow. Just like you take a seed and you plant it in the ground. When you plant it in the ground, it's an act of faith that something's going to happen. Because once you plant it in the ground, you're not getting it back so it's 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 left your hand it's in it's being invested in this principle that god says the whole world operates under now but what he says is you have two fields two fields that you can sow into you can sow into the field of the flesh or you can sow into the field of the flesh. and both of those fields are very personal because sometimes we can we hear people teach this and it sounds like this impersonal law it's sort of like something that it's like the universe is a huge vending machine that we look at it and we look through the glass of it and we figure out, oh, you know, I want the Hershey bar and I'll sew a coin in here and I'll get the Hershey bar and it's just this big and personal thing. The truth is, Paul says, if you sew, even if you sew only to yourself, it's personal. If you sew, he says, to advance the gospel and to meet the pressing needs of other people, it's personal, but that... Is sowing to the spirit. You're giving something to God. God says, if you give to advance the gospel, you're giving it to me. He preached the gospel. To the local church. If you give to meet the pressing needs of people that you know—family members, friends, neighbors, or strangers—or the poor, those pressing needs are I have an interest in, and so you're giving to me. So he says, sowing in, goes into those two fields now. But he says, following this law of sowing and reaping, follow me here. Sow the flesh, he says, you're going to reap corruption. In other words, if you sow only to your benefit, just to take care of yourself, it's going to corrupt you. It's going to have a negative impact. That word corruption, in their day, it had three main uses. The first one meant you're just going to go from bad to worse. The second way it was used was to Fall into bondage or slavery. The third way it was used was what happened to a corpse when it decayed. And so we think, oh my gosh, when I'm spending money only on myself, how is that happening to me? It's a very subtle thing that happens. But it does happen. You can see it. You can see it in our culture. And, and let me tell you something. Our culture knows the way we live is wrong. This self-centered way that we use our money is wrong. And they know that the church is a part of the problem as much as the world is. But what's ironic is they hold the church to a higher standard than they hold themselves. How many of you saw this week the story was pretty, pretty publicized about the, the pastor who asked his congregation to buy him the $54 million jet? Anybody? Let me just do this. Anybody not see it? Oh, okay. I'll tell you real quick. This, this guy down in, in uh, Louisiana... Who's a pretty well-known teacher? He's on TV, uh, on the radio. You know, he's he, and he's a very entertaining guy. And I'm sure in many ways he re, he he does he loves Jesus, but he is so out to lunch in this area that it's it's embarrassing for the church. It's embarrassing for the gospel. And he was interviewed, and he's standing in a hallway, and there's these four pictures of jets, and he used to own these other three jets, and he's standing by this jet, and he says the name of it. And I don't remember what it was, but he says. I believe the Lord told me I need one of those jets. And he said, and let me tell you something, if Jesus was around today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. And I just went, I just went, oh, I don't think he would either. But you're saying it's either a donkey or a jet. Right? I mean, isn't there other options between that? I mean, couldn't he could he ride a bicycle? Right? (laughs) Maybe a unicycle, that would be cool. It isn't just donkey or jet, fifty-four million dollar jet. That's what like Dude, you, you really lack imagination, right? So then the report shows him and another well-known uh, Christian evangelist, who I'm sure is a, uh, loves Jesus, but they're sitting there talking about why they need a jet because the other one has a jet, flies around in a jet to preach, and this other guy says, I need a new one. I need a new jet. And they both go, they're both talking about why they don't fly the local airlines. And that, like, that was really hard to hear. One of of them says, you know, when you get in that cylinder with all those people, it's like this demonic spirit. It's there. It's just so ugly. I don't want to be a part of it. I'm just going, oh, my goodness. When you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. I believe these are good men, but do you understand what sowing to the flesh will do? Can you feel that? Let me ask you a question you understand that principle is operating in you when you spend most of your money on yourself? Where is the corruption at work in your life? Where are you in bondage? Where is it taking you? Because here's what Galatians 5 said just before this. is talking about walking in the Spirit, (coughs) being led by the Spirit, following the Spirit, right? Over and over and over. These are the acts of the sinful nature. Immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. That's the deeds of the flesh. How many of you struggle with it? Paul's saying we're contributing to our own moral brokenness with how we use money. That's how powerful, well, anything is, but money is a powerful gift from God. So we not only see it impact us, it impacts our community around us because we're salt and we're light. And those people who who brought that report to us about the evangelist that wanted the jet, they didn't point that spotlight on the tens of thousands of people who who are who are just as guilty of you know living these lavish, selfish lifestyles all over the place. We celebrate them. We put them on magazines, right? They don't turn them on then because you know what they know? We're supposed to be different. There's something about the people that follow Jesus who they expect to be different. And when we're not, they call us on it. They're not going to call themselves. That's why they need us. You get it? Because they need neighbors whose lives do not revolve around sowing to the flesh and spending all their money on themselves. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're a city set on hill. And we have this power in the community that isn't always recognized, but it's felt. People experience it. So since most of us, us, most of us in this room, give little or nothing to advance the gospel, like give to the vineyard, give to missionaries, give to mission, we give little or nothing towards that because the average Every year, for the last 60 years, people have been polled about this. The average serious evangelical Christian gives 2.4% of their income away, which is nothing. And you may think, well, John, 2.4% is a lot. You don't get this principle if you say that. We're not getting the promise that's in here. And here's the thing. This is why Paul said this. Don't be deceived. You're deceived. We are deceived when we spend so much on ourselves. we we can do, if I have a bag of seed, and I'm a farmer, I've said this over and over, but what can I do with this? There's only three things I can do with it, literally. I can eat it, and then it's all gone. I can sell it and get other kinds of commodities that I might need, but then I I use them on myself. Or I can take a reasonable part of this, and I can sow it and give it away, because I know next year, I'm not going to have a bag of seed because when I finish eating this bag of seed, the bag of seed has gone. And God gave me the bag of seed so I could flourish. Isn't that what he said? If you sow to the spirit, you will flourish. If you sow to the flesh, you will get worse. And your money is always a test. It's always a test from God to see what kind of person you want to become. And when you use your money the way God wants you to, it changes you. It grows your character, and he can trust you with more. Because, honest to goodness, you can't look at a bag of seed and not see that God really trusts us. You can't look at a bag of seed and not see that God wants to bless us. But not just for us. So we can be generous. So, so the, the world around us can thrive. But we have given ourselves over to the idea that I can consume all this and it won't affect me. And Paul just says, don't be deceived. You think, because he says God can't be mocked. That word in Greek, mocked, means sneer at. To, to act like you've pulled something over on someone. God says, you can't, do, you can't pull it over on me. So when I share this, uh, I think what, there, there could, there's lots of objections I've heard from people about. But I'm just going to just speak to one, just briefly. And this is an objection I hear over and over and over when I say, you know, this is all the money you have. I can't afford to give to the vineyard or to missionaries or to meet or to the poor, whatever. I can't. I don't have enough. And let me just say just a couple of things. First, you will be able to afford to give if you begin to give. You will be able to give if you begin to give. If you begin to give regularly, generously, and consistently. Because what's the three principles? You reap what you sow. If you sow money, God promises, he will give you more. He wants you to have more. Can people twist that teaching? Sure. But they t- we, people twist everything. We misuse everything. And a lot of times people say, "Well, I don't want to buy into that teaching because it it's gotten twisted." Is that really why you don't want to buy into it? Or you just don't want to give? You have to at some point we all have to be honest with ourselves. If we want to, you know, live a life with any integrity. We have to be willing to be honest with ourselves. Second, giving, now listen to this. Giving is burden bearing. What Paul says, just a few verses before, he says, if any, oh, excuse me, uh, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So here's what Jonathan Edwards said. I heard this quote. He said, in, and you got to think about yourself right now in this, and this is, this is a quote about us. In many cases, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. In other words, there's going to be times where to bear someone's burden, they have a financial need, it's going to cost you. If our neighbor's difficulties and necessities are much greater than our own, and we see that they are not likely to be relieved any other way, we should be willing to suffer with them and to take part of their burden on ourselves. Else, how is the rule of bearing one another's burdens? If we're never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? I can't, I was so busted by this this week when I read it because I can't tell you how many times I go, and I, we're, we're fairly generous, I go, I can't help them because I, you know, I have commitments, all these commitments. And I realized this week that that doesn't fly here. If they're suffering, I can't alleviate their whole burden, but I can give them a, mo- a significant amount enough money to help, even if I have to bear a burden by doing that. But I need to be willing to do that. That is a revolutionary idea, would you say? How many times have you said, I'm not going to help someone because I, I couldn't pay my gas bill then? Well, they can't pay their gas bill right now. What does it mean if we don't feel what they feel? Now, let me, it's, it's not so radical an idea as you would think. When Paul, in, in, the, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, was urging the Corinthians to give, he pulled this out and he said this. You know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The thing was at the heart of the gospel that we've all benefited from is this idea of bearing someone's burdens who will never be able to bear them on their own. So Jesus went to the cross and died for us in our place for our sins so we could be reconciled to the Father so the kingdom could break into our life. The kingdom... That causes us to flourish. And really, I've said this over and over and over, so that we could be saved from ourselves. That is the greatest bondage that there is, is to be in the grip of your own selfishness. However that is lived out. That Jesus, when you put your faith in him, and you may be here today and go, is that part of it? I could be free of the power of my own selfishness? But that's what we bought into. You're sitting here. In a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I, I, I wanted to take it at the end of our gathering so you could re- be reminded, this whole thing we're talking about with money is not just to get money from you to the vineyard or money to the poor. It is this revolutionary idea that is the only idea that changes the world. But we have to live. And every week, just like last week, we were talking about healing. And I was saying, how on earth can we as churches believe and pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and not leave space for the kingdom to come? And not pray for people who are sick. And not believe that God wants to break into the world among us and, and around us. How on earth can we take communion, the message about death and resurrection, and not believe in the miraculous? How has that happened? But that was last week. How is it when we think about money, unless we've deceived ourselves and been deceived, that we, in our church, and I want I to be honest with you, A few weeks ago, I looked at the giving records in our church, and I haven't done that in 12 or 14 years. I want to be honest with you, I was surprised. And I'm calling you on the carpet to say, maybe you're giving money other places. That's cool. I hope you are. I suspect many of you aren't. And I want. As your pastor to say to you, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. This is affecting your character. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your life. Jesus wants you to flourish. He wants you to experience life. That's what the promise is here. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to the Spirit from the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. It's that passage where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's that life. Paul's using the same word. So he's saying, What you do with your money, it it doesn't save you, but it's part of what God does in your life. So people ask me, how do I know if I'm born again? And people tend to think, if I do certain sins, does that mean I'm not born again? And I just don't go there. I just go, anybody who's born again doesn't become perfect overnight. There are all kinds of stuff that you're going to struggle with throughout your life before you get on top of it. But I will tell you one thing. The fruit of the Spirit... The Bible says when you believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside you. And the first fruit of the Spirit is what? In the list. The first fruit of the Spirit is, oh, Lord, help us. I hope you say the right thing. Love. And what is love if it's not giving? What is love if it's not giving? So you may say, gosh, I hardly give any money. Does that mean the Spirit's not in me? No. It just means most likely you've been resisting and grieving the spirit and spending all the money you have on yourself. You haven't given faithfully and consistently and regularly to the gospel or to meet the pressing needs of people. And I'm just telling you today, I want to show you how to do it real quick, real simple. Imagine a ladder, okay? There's a guy named Nelson Searcy. He has this little ladder picture. And it's a great way to know where you are and, and wh- where God wants you to go next. So imagine a ladder. It doesn't go to heaven. It just has five rungs on it, all right? Five rungs. And each rung represents a place you can be at with respect to giving. The first rung is you just don't give anything. You, you, you know, you throw a, 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 a few bucks in here and there. Or if, if we harangue you enough, you know, you'll write a check. <laughs> or you feel guilty enough. But you really, giving isn't a part of your life. The second rung is you start giving regularly. That You give. You get a paycheck and you give some of it every time. But it's, it's not a lot, but you're giving regularly. Boom! Giving is a part of your life. So if you're at, maybe you're sitting here today and you're at the, I don't give really anything or I give very little. Then the first step for you is every week when I get a paycheck or every other week or once a month or whatever your, your, your salary is, you say, I'm going to give some amount of that that I can feel every, every time I get paid. That's the way giving is supposed to be. You get paid, you give. Then the next, the third rung is tithing. And I have people all the time who tell me, I tithe, and they give like $10, and I go, are you, are you making $100 a week? Brother, I need to pray for you about that job, you know? That, how did you pay for that house only making $100 a week? And you guys are supposed to laugh at that. You're supposed to, you didn't. Okay, thank you. That was kind of gratuitous. Did you guys put the laugh sign up there, like and thing? Tithing means you give 10%, and percent of what you earn. There are actually people in our church that do that. Not very many, at least by the giving records. 10%. And we could argue off the top, you know, gross or net, you know, don't go there. Look at this principle. <laughs> so go from regularly to there. Each of these is a step, it's a challenge. Then the fourth one is giving extravagantly. That means you're giving. Uh, most people get to a certain point where they can live comfortably. And I had a friend years ago who inspired me to think this way. Is he said, he was in a kind of business where his income could actually radically increase, and it started increasing. He said, my goal is to get to a certain point where I cap how much I spend on myself, and I'm going to give the rest away. And he started doing that, and then he got caught up in this thing that we get caught up in, and he got in debt, and just got in debt, and debt, and to this day, he's still in terrible debt. And I believe God, because he had the capacity, he was good at what he was doing, and he just doesn't have anything to show for anything. Now. But he, was, he started becoming an extravagant giver. You can get to a certain place in your life where you're comfortable and give the rest away. I know my wife Kathy met a guy who owned an insurance company, and he did that. And he lives in a pretty nice house. But, I mean, he lives in a house that's way below how much money he makes. And he gives money all over the place. That's extravagant giving. But that's not the top. The top is sacrificial, sacrificial gift. And you may think, how can you do that? Are you just always not have any enough? You're always behind your bills? No. It just means on a regular basis, you are looking for ways to advance the gospel and meet the pressing need. And that you aren't just saying, I can't do it. I don't have enough. Because God, the only thing that God says that we're supposed to test him in is this giving thing. Do you know that? God says, don't test me. But there's one place where he says, come on, bring it on. Help some poor people and watch what I do. Help a family member who's really hurting. Which, let me, let me give you a, a parenthetic comment. Most of the people who have pressing needs are not handling their money well. That can't disqualify them from our help. It just means we can help them. But then we got to get more involved with them and say, I'm not just going to keep throwing money after the problem if you're going to keep doing it. Because it isn't helping you. And then I'm not responsible to show that kind of support. I'll come alongside you. You can move in my house. We've had people live in our house who are in those kinds of situations. We've got to begin to be people who live this gospel thing out, don't we? And the verse, the money verse in this, look at it. It's verse 9. Just read it to yourself for a second. This is a money verse. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. We don't give up. This doesn't look like a lot. This little bag of seed. I don't know if you guys know about sunflowers, but there's enough sunflowers in here to fill this room, this little bag. And, and in a few months, if you walked in this room and this, this, this crowded, you wouldn't be able to get in here. It would be beautiful and amazing. It would be a harvest. And it would produce hundreds of times this many sunflower seeds. Don't you think the world's attention would be caught by people who actually believed and lived it out? Because I've had people say to people in our church who are really generous, where on earth do you get the money? to do it? I remember one time I watched a guy in our church and no one knew it but me. Someone's van broke down. Because the transmission. How many of you had the transmission breakdown Bar, You know, it, it, if the car was a horse, you'd just shoot it, right? Just shoot the car because it's so expensive to get the transmission fixed. And then half the time, it doesn't work well afterwards. He paid for this family that didn't have enough money to get their transmission fixed. They didn't know he did. And people wondered if it was one of the richer people in our church. And this guy made about $35,000 a year, and he did it. He just took money out of his savings and paid for it. But the question that was asked was, where do people get the money to do stuff like this? It's in your pocket now. This bag of seed is in your pocket now. And we as a church are waiting for us to break this stronghold of sowing to the flesh. It is it is holding us back as a community. It is holding you back. It's holding the gospel back in our in our community. There are demonic strongholds among us that aren't gonna be broken until we break this slavery we have. The, eating the whole bag of seed ourselves. So if the folks who are going to give the communion could come up here, and then Jason, if you could play behind us. This is our ministry time, okay? I know there might be other things you want prayer for, and we're going to hang out here afterwards if you want prayer for something. But Jesus, the gospel, the gospel says, he became poor so we could become rich. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know everybody in this room, but I know most of you pretty well, and I think that's in your heart. Which rung are you on today? That first rung where you're not giving anything. Second rung where you're giving regularly, but it's still not really impacting you. Third rung where you're tithing. Fourth rung where you're starting to give extravagantly. Anybody giving sacrificially? That's our goal. All we have to do is just take next rung. Jesus lays the trail for you. You may think, I can't, that. how can I do that? I'm so stuck in in the way I'm spending my money. Gotta see your money like this bag. And you have to sow it. If Kathy was here, she would say, John, you're not supposed to say have to. Don't say that. And i go, it's in the Bible, Kathy. We, we have this tug of war. What Paul says is you, you must sow that seed to have in your pocket. We're not taking up an offering. This is something you, you have to go home with. We already took it out. It would have been cool to take up the offering now, wouldn't it? Yeah, but we don't want to manipulate you. I want you, like the Bible says, to give from your heart. Not under compulsion. That's why this bag of seed, I don't know what we're going to do with it, but God's trying to give us a picture to stir our imagination. He's trying to give you a picture to stir your imagination about what your life could be and what the impact you could have on the world around you. Because there ain't anybody in this room that can't. Some of you, God's blessed you richly. I want you to come take the elements today and realize this bread, the seed that's been crushed, that juice, is grapes that have been crushed. You're going to have to die your money. You're going to have to let your desires and your wishes get crushed so that they can give life. And Jesus says when we're willing to do that, the sweetest, most satisfying thing we could ever imagine happens is our heart begins to be filled with love. It begins to be filled with His love. His love for us. Because we're saying, I don't have to have all this stuff, Lord. If I have you, that's what I need. So, He's genius. He has us take these elements that picture that for us every time we come together. And we lose sight of it, I admit. But would you stand up with me now and just pray with me here for a moment, whatever is appropriate to what God's saying to you. I'm just going to pray a short prayer, but I believe that God's speaking to all of us here. I can't imagine how this doesn't speak to all of us. Whether you're a senior citizen on a fixed income, you're someone in the prime of your your income-producing years, or you're just starting it doesn't matter. It speaks to everybody. If you could just hold your hands out before the Lord. And in your mind's eye, just imagine you're holding bags of seeds that, that are your bags of seeds. It's your life. It's your strength. It's what he's entrusted you. Your opportunities, your resources, your possessions. Lord Jesus, your word says that though you were rich for your sake, you became poor. So we might become rich. We have benefited from that transaction you made on the cross over and over and over. But Lord, we have to admit we've forgotten what it means. You've reminded us today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and help us to enter in to your courageous, self-giving love, that it would begin to fill our hearts. And we offer you the seed that we have in our hands, our lives. We say, Lord, take it and crush it And give it and multiply it. Fill our hearts with that love that you have. Forgive us for how imperfectly we mauled your love. We just want to make room for you here this morning to start a new work in our hearts.